0: Great to be with you this evening. Um, if I've not met you before, my name's Ian. I'm part of the team here at Vineyard. And my main role, if you didn't know, is small groups pastor for the church. I kind of dabble in a few things, but small groups is my kind of main ministry that I'm involved with. And, um, but every now and again, I get invited to come and speak, to preach and share with you guys, which is always fun for me. I hope it will be enjoyable for you this evening. You can uh, kind of score that at the end of the night, see how you feel. Um, But tonight, I'm gonna be starting a new series with you, and it's just gonna be a short two-part series. And in this series, we're gonna be looking at the practice of fasting, as Alice alluded to uh, a moment ago. So if you've actually got a donut with you, um, you need to put that down right now. Uh, Whilst I'm talking about fasting, you should not be eating. So, no, I'm just kidding. If you've got a donut, eat away, because you won't be after this talk. So (laughs) enjoy it, enjoy it. yeah, well, this is part of our Live Like Jesus discipleship framework. You might be familiar with the way we've been teaching some of our material over the last few years. And I was actually speaking to someone last week, who um, someone who's part of the church, and they were saying how much they've really been enjoying our Live Like Jesus teaching over the last few years. And like I said, not all of our teaching and preaching comes through Live Like Jesus, but a lot of it does these days. And I just think it's been really helpful um, for us to be able to Uh, it's it's helped the way we've taught and and looked at the Bible to make it just a bit more applicable um, and practical in the way that we try and follow Jesus and it helps us to come back to this philosophy this understanding that we are disciples of Jesus we are his apprentices learning from him how to live like him as we learn how to be with Jesus and do the things that Jesus did so that's a bit of a summary of what live, live, live like Jesus looks like And if you're new to this church or if you've missed any of those series over the last few years, you can obviously find them online, either through our podcast or on our YouTube channel. Search for Vinyard Vinyard Cardiff Church. Vinyard Church, Cardiff. How many years have I been here? Still can't get it right. Um, Just search for it and it should come up. But... As I said, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be spending some time looking at this practice of fasting. We'll be considering what it is, uh, why it's important, and the place that it can have in our daily walk with Jesus. Now, I have a minor confession to make to you all. The first, when I got the message inviting me to preach on this, I kind of misread it. I thought I was being invited to speak on feasting. Um... But by the time I realized that it said fasting, it was too late to back out of the talk. So here I am, on fasting. And there's only one letter difference between fasting and feasting, but that E makes a massive difference. You know, if you get those two things wrong, it changes the whole day for you. Either you eat loads of food or you eat absolutely nothing. Uh, But more on that in a moment. But I thought I was going to be speaking on feasting. And I thought, great, this is a subject that I can definitely talk about. Because I'll be honest with you, I love food. I love buying food when I can afford it these days. I love preparing food. I love cooking big meals. My wife finds it really weird how long I can spend reading through recipe book after recipe book. It's a hobby of mine. And if ever we go into town and pop into Waterstones, the recipe book section is the first place I'm headed. It's upstairs if you're not familiar. There's some really comfy sofas. I could just go scan along the um, recipe bookshelves, pick a few books, take a seat. I could be there for a few hours if I had time, just salivating over new recipes that I wanna cook. And I'll be honest, uh, it's gotta have pictures in it. I don't know about you, if you've ever picked up a recipe book, the cover might look amazing, but if there's no pictures on the inside, I ain't buying it. I need to see what I'm gonna be cooking. Maybe that says something about me. Um, And if I've ever been to your house, there is a good chance that within the first few minutes of arriving, I have clocked where you keep your recipe books, like with Sherlock-like precision, I know where you keep them, and at some point I'm gonna find those books, find any that I haven't read before, and we'll be talking, but I'll be looking at recipes. I actually did this last week, I was preaching in the north, went round to a friend's house in the afternoon, and they had a book, and I'd never seen this book before, and he's talking to me, I'm just there taking photos, I'm gonna try that (laughs) recipe this week. Did I, what did you just say? I just took some more photos. so, so yeah, that says that's a bit about me. What can I say? I just love food, and I love the way that food and feasts brings people together. And I know I'm not the only one. Like I said, I was preaching on this in North last week. I'm Dave, our Northside pastors here. Pretty sure they spent this morning eating together, right? Yep, didn't do a normal service. Ate together. They stopped listening to my talk at this point before I moved on to the subject. I do realize I'm meant to be speaking about fasting today, I just really wanted to talk about food tonight, and this was as much as I was allowed. Um, So, let's get to the subject. The thing I wanna say is that food and feasting, these are good things, um, but I'm just aware that as I talk about this subject of fasting tonight, it's important to address from the start that some of us here may struggle or have struggled in the past to have a healthy relationship with food. Um, And difficult experiences around body image, dieting, and disordered eating, these things can be pervasive and long-lasting in our lives, and I don't want to undermine those things tonight. Um, So if that is something that you struggle with, please know that you are not alone here, and this is a safe community where you can share your struggles either with somebody that you know, maybe that you've come with this evening, maybe the people that you're in small group community with, or through our pastoral care, you know, like network in the church, We would love to support you. And part of the reason our relationship with food can be something that we struggle with is that it's part of our broken human condition. Food can have a power over us that we don't like to admit. And all of us, in some way, may experience some level of brokenness in relation to food. It relates to this battle of the flesh and the spirit that the Apostle Paul talks about in the New Testament. And our bodies can drive us to pursue our wants and desires at the expense of the health of our soul. And food can have a really big part to play in that. Have you ever noticed how in the creation story in Genesis and in the story of the fool, the food and this battle over the flesh and our spirit is right at the core of that story? In Genesis 2, God makes mankind from the earth and breathes life into man. Humans are both physical and spiritual beings. And Scott McKnight refers to this as embodied spirituality. And then in Genesis 3, the snake asks the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The snake then entices Eve to take the fruit and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we're told that when the woman saw the fruit on the tree was good to eat and pleasing to the eye, she took it and she ate it. Now, it doesn't really matter how you read or interpret that story. People, you know, interpret the creation story differently. But what I just explained there, there's significance in that, in the way that that's conveyed to us. The temptation itself wasn't about eating food. I just want to make that clear. It was actually about humanity choosing to trust in its own instincts and the voice of the serpent over God's word. And as a consequence, humanity began to redefine good and evil uh, for ourselves. That's the temptation that was placed before mankind, and we took it. But how did the temptation present itself? It was to eat or not to eat from the tree. It's quite Shakespearean, isn't it? Anyway, I'm sure that we've all experienced temptation like that in one form or another in our lives. You know, we've all been there where it's like, oh, I really know I shouldn't eat that piece of cake, but man, it looks so good. And you just can't resist, oh, I really want that chocolate cake. Um, I shared this morning, for me, I walk in on a Sunday morning, I'm like, I might have one ring donut, I might have two, I probably shouldn't have three ring donuts, go on then, I'll have an extra donut. That's the temptation here at Vineyard on a Sunday. Um, I'm sure we've all been there, I'm sure we've all been tempted by some way with food. What we see in Genesis 3 is an inversion of God's plan. God created man and woman to rule over the animal kingdom and to tend to the earth. But in the creation story, the man and the woman become subservient to the snake and the fruit. Suddenly, these things have power and authority, or they seem to have power and authority over humanity. And as a result, something goes wrong in the human body and in its desire for food and pleasure and gratification. In Romans 3, Paul writes, who will save me? Who will rescue me? Who will set me free from this body? Like I said, our bodies can easily become our masters. So is there a practice that can help us break free from the power of our body and its desires, uh, and free from the power that our body and its desires can have over us? Well, I think top of the list is fasting, and I'm going to explain why in this talk. Over the next two talks, we're going to explain how and why that is. But let's start with the obvious question what is fasting? Fasting is voluntarily abstaining from something for a set or limited period of time. In other words, it's not allowing yourself to have something that you would normally have. And you can fast from all kinds of things. You can fast from TV, social media, video games, alcohol, sex, music, your mobile phone, basically anything that you might consume, use or indulge in regularly. But predominantly, what I'll be referring to in this talk and what the Bible speaks about most, I think, is fasting from food. Now, fasting has actually gained quite a lot of attention in our society in recent years, mostly for the advantages that it offers to our physical health. You might be familiar with the 5-2 or the 16-8 diets. These are known as intermittent fasting or intermittent fasts. always struggle with that word. The 5-2 is designed around this principle that you can eat for five days of the week, and then there's two days of the week that you don't eat. Uh, The 16-8 diet is um, built around the idea that there are 16 hours of the day that you fast, I'd recommend that you pick most of those hours overnight. You'd be a bit stupid to go, right, 16 hours, I'm gonna do that during the day, and then when I'm sleeping for those eight hours, that's when I'm gonna eat. Doesn't work very easily that way. So, So 16 hours, you don't eat, then there's an eight hour window. Maybe it's like nine to five or 12 to eight. In that window, now my approach would be just to shovel as much food into my mouth as I can to help me through the next 16 hours. That's just how I'd approach it with that one. But these types of fast have been growing in popularity over the years, in recent years. In fact, it's, I think it's probably fair to say that nowadays talk about fasting is probably more common for people outside of the church than it is for people inside of the church. And I don't think it's controversial to say that. When it comes to intermittent fasting, while well, I think... Um, research on the subject is still relatively new. It's considered to be an effective way to help people lose weight, normalize their insulin levels, boost their immune system, as well as offering a number of other health benefits. And the Catholic priest Thomas Ryan talks about this in his book, The Sacred Art of Fasting. He says that abstaining from food gives the body a chance to renew itself. It is a time in which the body burns its rubbish. It's like house cleaning day. By sort of taking out the trash, fasting seems to have a vitalizing, balancing effect on the body's hormonal and metabolic systems, and practitioners have reported a sharpening in mental functions as well. So it's not as if people, it's not as if fasting isn't already something that people are already doing, it's just that many people who do choose to fast probably aren't doing it in response to following Jesus. For most people outside the church or who aren't part of other kind of faith groups, the main motivators for fasting are health and physical benefits. So how is this different from the spiritual fasting that Jesus invites us into? Well, let's let's consider that. Instead of focusing on the physical benefits of fasting, spiritual fasting is about spiritual growth, seeking God and disciplining the body in order to strengthen the soul. When we practice fasting as a spiritual discipline, the physical benefits become secondary, and the the physical serves as a vehicle to the spiritual. Again, Thomas Ryan puts it this way. He says, we manipulate the physical to gain access to the spiritual. Fasting provides physical sensations that point to spiritual realities. So, when we fast, the hunger of our stomach is designed to put us in touch with the hunger of our soul. I'll just say that again. When we fast, the hunger of our stomach is designed to put us in touch with the hunger of our soul. The, uh, the author, Adele Calhoun, says this about fasting. Fasting is an opportunity to lay down an appetite, an appetite for food, for media, for shopping. This act of self-denial may not seem huge. It's just a meal or a trip to the mall, but it brings us face to face with the hunger at the core of our being. Fasting exposes how we try to keep empty hunger at bay and gain a sense of well-being by devouring creature comforts. through so through self-denial, we begin to recognize what controls us. Our small self-denials of the self show us just how little taste we actually have for sacrifice or time with God. This truth isn't not meant to discourage us. It's simply the first step in realizing that we have to lay down our life in order to find it again in God. So fasting is a practice, it's a discipline in which we deny ourselves something that we would normally indulge ourselves in. Fasting, especially from food, is considered to offer many health and physical benefits, as I've explained. But when it comes to spiritual fasting, the physical becomes secondary. The primary goal and motivation is to draw near to Jesus. Now, as with all our Live Like Jesus series, I like to think the best place for us to go next is to ask the question, well, what did Jesus have to say about this practice? You know, I'm quite logical when it comes to these things. I'm like, well, let's define what this is, What did Jesus say about it next? That's kind of the way I work. So let's have a look in the Bible. And the truth is, Jesus doesn't actually say a lot about fasting. If you read through the whole of the Gospels, there isn't loads. But he does address it briefly in his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. So if you've got a Bible with you and you want to turn to your Bible, we'll be in Matthew 6 tonight. Um, If you haven't got a Bible with you or just prefer to see it on the screen, it should come up behind me. So we're going to be in Matthew 6, verses 16 to 18. And starting in verse 16, Jesus says this. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, that was only a few verses, but there are three things that I want to pull out from those verses tonight. The first is this, Jesus starts by saying, when you fast, not if you fast. And I'm sure there'll be a number of you who've heard this point made before. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, you must fast. Fasting was already part of the Jewish custom in Jesus' day, and and fasting regularly would have been common practice for many Jews and and people of that time. So what we notice straight away in this passage is that when Jesus is teaching on fasting, he assumed that he was speaking to people who were actually doing it. Now for us this might be a bit of an elephant in the room because most of us probably don't fast regularly, am I right? This isn't really a raise your hand moment but how often do you fast? Do you fast weekly, monthly, maybe a few times a year, maybe never? I'm gonna go out on a limb here and suggest that for most of us intentional spiritual fasting is probably quite a rare thing. I'm just gonna make that assumption. Now, if you're here, um, if you're sat here and you're thinking, yeah, that is kind of true for me, I don't really fast very much, please don't feel uncomfortable, ashamed, or embarrassed because, like I said, I think that's true for the majority of us. There's probably a good chance that the person sat right next to you is feeling exactly the same way about me talking about fasting tonight. You know, that's why I wanted to speak about feasting. Um, it's not everyone's favorite practice, but by the end of tonight, maybe it will be. Um, I'm going to hold my hands up and say that I've fasted plenty of times. In the, in the time that I've been a Christian, I've fasted plenty of times. I'm not saying that to blow my own trumpet. There have been many points in my life where fasting has been a regular and a valuable rhythm in my life and something that I've really enjoyed doing. But there have been many long periods or seasons in my life when I haven't fasted, when it hasn't been a regular rhythm. Like I said, Jesus never commands us to fast, but he assumes that we will. And there's an invitation for us to embrace this practice. So why don't we fast? It might be that um, you're here tonight and you've just never been aware of the practice of fasting. It's just that as I'm sharing about it, you're like, "Oh, okay, didn't know that was something we were invited by Je- or encouraged by Jesus to do. Maybe I'm going to give that a try." And if that's you, brilliant! Like, I just want—I didn't say this this morning, but I just when I was kind of new to faith, I came to faith when I was 18, and and in the first few years, if I listened to a talk, obviously my encouragement to you is to, to weigh what I say. Don't just take it as truth, although, you know, I've prepared it. it I want to suggest that it's true. I'm not lying to you. But, but if I heard a talk and I was like, that makes a lot of sense, and it's in the Bible, and Jesus says it, like, in those first few years, I was like, I'm going to give that a try. And, and I hope that as I'm getting older, I'm still willing to try those things. I'm not like... I've tried that before, but if you're here tonight and you're new to faith, or you're young in your faith, or even if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, my encouragement is be willing to give this a go, accept the invitation, not from me, from Jesus, to embrace this practice in your life. But I I think the truth is, for many of us who have been aware of this practice and just avoided it, fasting is a practice that we probably just consider to be uncomfortable and a bit inconvenient in our lives. Let's be honest, right? Going without something, especially food, it's not fun, and it's not easy. This is not an easy practice. We're picking a fight with our flesh. In, and, you, and often I lose that battle, because I love food. I explained that at the start. In Matthew four, verse two, we're told that Jesus fasted. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and then the Bible gives us this key detail. It says he was hungry. I'd be hungry too if I hadn't eaten for 40 days. But what's really significant here is that Jesus embraced the discomfort of denying himself. In that moment, Jesus was physically weak, but he was spiritually strong. And that's because Jesus knew the the benefits of fasting. He starved his flesh in order to feed his spirit, because that is what enabled him to resist the devil's temptations in the wilderness. And what you notice um, if you read on in Matthew 4 is that the first temptation Satan presents to Jesus involves food. He's like, if you are the Son of Man, then turn those rocks into bread. He knows what Jesus was feeling weak in in that moment, and he tempts him with that, just in the same way that he tempts them with food in the creation story. So fasting isn't easy. It wasn't easy for Jesus, and it's not going to be an easy practice for us. How many of us really want to miss a meal or or multiple meals and have to embrace that feeling of hunger? You know, that ache. Have you ever missed a meal and you get that grumble in your stomach? Maybe you're in, in like, I was going to say a library, but I don't know how much time we spend in the library, but you're on a bus or you're in somewhere and you just, your tummy's grumbling, you're like, oh, this is embarrassing, or it just doesn't feel comfortable. Most of us don't like that feeling. And most of us have grown up to intuitively believe that discomfort is a bad thing. But that isn't necessarily true. I don't think... Um, discomfort is necessarily bad. But in a time of unprecedented conveniences, when we can order food at the touch of a button off our phones, or when entertainment is available instantly on demand, we can easily feel entitled to satisfy almost every desire immediately. And anything uncomfortable seems like an um, an unnecessary an annoyance. We expect to be ever full, ever satiated, yet fullness isn't always good and emptiness isn't always bad. That constant craving for pleasure can be detrimental to us and occasional discomfort can actually be exactly what we need. Culturally, I think we've come to to this understanding that the pain of exercise is necessary if we want to improve our physical health, but we rarely carry this acceptance into other areas of our lives where it is just as true. Um, Sometimes, in fact, almost always, you have to make yourself uncomfortable in order to get better. It's like that gym motto, no pain, no gain. Well, that's what Paul tells me, at least, you know. (laughs) Paul Paul likes the gym, if he didn't know. He might have told you guys once twice. And when it comes to fasting, you have to be willing to embrace the discomfort of emptying yourself in order to be filled. So just coming back to my first point, Jesus says when you fast, not if you fast. Jesus teaches on the assumption that his listeners are fasting. So maybe this is something that we should be doing more often, even if it does feel uncomfortable. Now my second point is that we shouldn't make fasting all about ourselves. In verse 16, Jesus says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, in this verse, Jesus is addressing our motivations for fasting. He's saying, don't make it a big deal. Don't draw attention to yourself. Don't do it to get praise from other people. At that time, it seems that some of the religious leaders were making a point to make sure that everybody knew when they were fasting. There was this group named the Pharisees, and they had a reputation for being the most strictly religious um, people in Israel, and they were really proud of this thing, this this status that they had. It's believed that the Pharisees uh, fasted for two days every week. They'd already taken on the 5-2 before it was even trending. But here in these verses, Jesus is attacking their motivations. He points out that they were doing whatever they could to make sure that everyone saw them and knew they were fasting. Their motivation was to be seen to be holy and righteous in the eyes of others rather than truly seeking after God. And the lesson in this for us is to make sure that we don't make fasting a means of trying to impress other people. That's not what fasting is about. That should never be our motivation for doing it. Now that's not to say that we can't tell people when we fast. I don't think it's meant to be some hush-hush secret. Um, I don't know if you've ever practiced fasting, but you'll have those days where you're like, right, I'm fasting today, and the first person you see offers you something, and you're like, no, I'd better not. And they're like, you always have it. And you're like, why aren't you eating this today? And you're like, I can't tell you. And then it just becomes this awkward thing for the rest of the day. You're like, don't ask me again, please. And you're like, I'm fasting. And then it just becomes this big deal. And it's like, that's not the point Jesus is trying to make. The point is, don't draw attention to yourself. Don't make it this big deal. But it's okay to tell someone. If you're fasting and someone's like, here's some cake, here's some biscuits, here's some whatever it is, it's okay to say, no, thank you, I'm fasting today. Just don't make it a big deal. Don't walk into the office that day or into, I don't know, don't wake up in the morning in your house and be like, I'm fasting today, everybody know. Like, it doesn't, people don't need to know that you're fasting, but if it comes up, don't be afraid to share it with them. Jesus is simply saying, when you fast, don't make it all about you. And then in the next two verses, he suggests what we should do. He says this, verse 17, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, I just want to be really clear here. The takeaway point is not that you need to put oil on your head when you're fasting. I don't want to see people walking around here with olive oil or vegetable oil, whatever oil you've got in your cupboards, because that's the teaching you've taken away from here. Now, if I had to pick, I think avocado oil or coconut oil is probably the safest bet. You're going to smell good with those, but that's not the point I'm making here, and I don't think that's what Jesus wants to say. In Jesus' day, putting oil on your head and washing your face was just part of the normal daily routine. I hope washing our faces is still part of the daily routine today. Most days, I think I manage it. But it was just a, oil and washing the face was a way of making yourself presentable to go about your day in public. So what Jesus is really saying here is instead of making a big deal about fasting, instead of doing things to draw attention to the fact that you're fasting, just go about your day as normal. Just go about your day as normal. Fasting isn't about anybody else. Fasting is a practice that is between you and God. It's an opportunity to draw near to him. And in verse 18, Jesus says, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, I don't want to get bogged down in speculating what that reward is. But what I believe Jesus is saying here is that the blessing and the reward and the good things that come from practices like fasting come as we do them with the right motivations. And I think if we do them with the wrong motivations, we get distracted And it it becomes a barrier to us receiving what the Lord has for us. As with all the spiritual disciplines, the practice itself is never the goal. It's not this goal of like, oh, I'm going to fast, and then you get to the end and you're like, tick, aren't I a great Christian? That's not the goal. The end goal is Jesus. The practice is just a means to a deeper level of encounter with him. And I think it's also important that I make this point on fasting. Fasting isn't about trying to control God or manipulate him in a situation. There might be this temptation to fast because there's something that you want to see breakthrough and you think, man, if I just fast, if I just go a day without food, maybe God will grant me my wish. I don't think it works that way. And, and don't get me wrong, there are definitely times when we're praying for something and, and, and Uh, embracing the practice of fasting will help us because it will draw us near to God. But thinking that it's a way to manipulate God to get what we want is not the way to view fasting. I definitely approached fasting this way for a number of years, probably early in my faith. And I thought, man, if I just do that, God will grant it to me. That's a dangerous way of seeing fasting because the problem is, if you don't get the results you want, if it doesn't turn out the way you expected or wanted it to, then you'll probably just dismiss fasting altogether and go, well, that didn't work, so why would I do that anymore? Because you've missed the point of what fasting is all about. The author, Lynn Barb, says, when we fast, we're not trying to impress God. This is not a performance with the goal of manipulating God. God is not a genie in a lamp that we can rub and ask for things. Fasting helps us to get into a place where we can hear from God. So the key things I wanted to pull from this passage were first, Jesus says, when you fast, not if. He assumes that this is something that we will be doing. Second, let's not make it about ourselves or impressing others. And thirdly, when you fast, just go about your day as normal and remember that fasting is primarily about seeking God. As I come into the kind of final section of my talk, I just want to share some practical tips on fasting with you. So firstly, start small and build up. Don't try and launch into a 40-day fast. You know, I spoke about Jesus doing a 40-day fast. If you've not fasted before, don't think, oh, I'm just going to go do a 40-day fast. That's probably going to go badly. Um, If you've never fasted before, maybe just start by missing one or two meals a day. Over time, you can build that up to fasting, maybe for a full day or for multiple days in a row. Um, But start small and build up. Second, plan it in. So it might be that you want to decide You can wake up in the morning and go, right, today's a fasting day. I'm just going to do it. But I found it's really helpful to mark that day, to plan it, to go, that is the day in the week that I'm going to fast this week. It might be that it becomes a regular day in your week, or it might just be that you set aside that day as your day for fasting. And... And I'd say be wise about it as well. It's probably not a good idea to fast on a day when you've got a really intense busy day, or if you do like high intensity sport, or you've, you know, just be sensible and wise about the days you choose to fast. I'm not saying if you have got a busy day, you know, some of us have busy jobs and busy things that we're doing. You can't just say, oh, I'm never gonna fast because my life's always busy. But try and be sensible about when you choose to fast. Um, It might be that you want to try and agree with a friend or with a few people, like pick a day that you can fast together, miss breakfast, miss lunch, and you might want to break your fast together with those guys as well. That's a nice way to do it. I've found in terms of scheduling fasts, what's been really helpful is to maybe have dinner one evening and then kind of start my fast after that meal, sleep through the night, miss breakfast, miss lunch, and then break my fast the following evening at dinner again. That's a nice way to kind of do a 24 hour fast. The danger on those days, you're like, should we have dinner at two o'clock this afternoon? (laughs) Because, hey, you know, it's time. Um, But just having those set parameters makes it so much easier to commit and stay the course. But also, I just wanna say, don't beat yourself up if you have to break the fast early for some reason. That can happen for accident. It's happened to me plenty of times before. You pick a day for fasting, and then you stroll into the office. Someone offers you a cup of tea and a biscuit, and three dunked bourbons later, you're like, oh no. I was fasting today. Um, if that happens, just don't let it trip you up. Just click reset and just carry on with your fast. Like God is not going to condemn you for that, and, and you can still press into him. Obviously, I will say, if you accidentally have a three-course meal, you probably just need to end that fast right there and then. Like You, are, you know when it's an accident and when it's not an accident, right? A biscuit, that can happen by accident. A three-course meal, that's no accident. And there might be occasions when you're fasting and you just know that um, you feel really unwell, you feel, feel faint, that actually it's not having a good effect on your body. In those moments you might need to eat something and break that fast, and that's okay. I just want to clarify that. If Don't come away from here tonight, practice fasting, go, halfway through the day I passed out because Ian said I wasn't allowed to eat anything. Like, if you have to eat, eat. Like, don't hurt yourself for this, but there will be other opportunities to fast. And it might be you need to consult somebody before fasting. Um, Thirdly, what should you do whilst you fast? As you deny your body, what are you making room for? At its core, fasting is not a discipline of withholding. It's actually a discipline of making space for God. I think so often we can get fixated on what we're denying ourselves, when actually when we're fasting, we're just making space in our lives and in our bodies and in our souls to receive more of the Lord. Um... So in those moments that you feel hungry, lean into God and take a moment to pray. You can schedule moments that you want to stop and pray. That can be quite helpful rather than just going through the day and be like, whenever I feel hungry, I'm going to pray. You might be like, okay, every hour I'm going to set aside five or ten minutes I'm going to seek God in that time. Or it might be that you just use those kind of those hunger pangs in your stomach and you go, when I feel hungry, that's when I'm going to seek the Lord. That's when I'm going to press in. The beauty of fasting is that you'll most likely have a lot more time in your day. The time that you would normally spend eating and preparing food, suddenly you're like, wow, there's so much time in the day. Instead, why don't you use that time to pray to God, to maybe meditate, to have some time of silence and solitude, or read the Bible. Now I'll confess, there have been many times when I've been like mid-fast, and even with the very best intentions, rather than reading the Bible and praying, I find myself reading recipe books and planning the meals I'm gonna eat tomorrow which is not the way to approach fasting, but hey, we all make mistakes. But my encouragement to you is try and use that time to press into the Lord. You're, you're sacrificing, you're denying yourself that food or whatever it is you're fasting from. Use that time and that space in your day to press into God. And finally, when it comes to breaking your fast, I'd say just try and be intentional. I'll never forget the time that I made a really kind of rubbish decision about breaking a fast. I was quite young in my faith. Um, I was Very enthusiastic, as you might have, as I shared a minute ago. And I'd been practicing fasting a little bit, and the church that I was in was going to do a 24 1 day of prayer and worship. And kind of in preparation for that, I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to crank it up a bit, I'm going to do a week long fast. So I did. I fasted for a week. The irony is that I worked in a pub or a restaurant at the time, and I was, like, serving people food, like, literally, like, day three, I was like, oh, this looks so good, just drooling over their steak as I brought it out to them. Um, Yeah, it was an interesting experience, but I'm not proud of the fact that I've done that. The thing that I wanted to say was that at the end of that week of prayer, um, week of fasting, I was so... um, I've been thinking so much about what I want to eat. I literally left the prayer meeting that I'd been going to, went straight to the nearest shop, bought four double chocolate chip muffins and ate them as quickly as I could. I got one and a half muffins in and I was like, I feel so sick because my body hasn't had food for a week. And what was meant to be this really holy like, oh man, God's going to be so pleased with me because I fasted for a whole week and then I went to a 24-1 prayer, just became this like, what have I just done? Is was this most, like, un, most unsanctimonious moment where I was just like, oh, this was meant to be really holy and great and actually I've just eaten one and a half muffins and I feel rubbish. So my encouragement is if you're going to fast, try and break it well. Uh, maybe you want to end your fast with a meal, maybe by yourself or with other people, but try not to do it with double chocolate chip muffins um, if you can. That would be my encouragement. And also, I would encourage you to try and end it in prayer or, or maybe not just prayer, but just in a dedicated time with the Lord. I think... I fasted for a long time and I would just get to the end of the fast and just be like, right, I'm going to eat. Rather than actually going, this was a dedicated time to the Lord. I think I learned to kind of start a fast with the Lord and end a fast with the Lord. And that just helped to close it. Whether that's a moment of reflection about what he's done through your day, a moment of silence, a brief prayer, or simply saying grace before you eat. I think it's just really helpful to end that time intentionally with him. Now, as I said towards the beginning, if you struggle with disordered eating or for medical reasons, fasting from food just isn't a safe option for you, then please consider fasting from one of the other things that I mentioned earlier. It might be social media, TV, alcohol, your mobile phone, whatever would be a suitable alternative for you. And my final encouragement to all of you is to just simply give this a go. In whatever form that looks for you, maybe this week, why don't you pick a day that you could fast? Or as Alice mentioned, uh, not this week, but this, the week following, on Monday Thursday, it will be a day of prayer and fasting for the church. And we'd love to invite you to take part in that. The idea is that you can fast during the day and then break your fast with your small group that evening. So that's an opportunity. It is, and by all means, it's not compulsory. You do not have to do that. It's an invitation. But we'd love you to join us as we do that. I want to finish with this quote from Thomas Ryan about fasting. He says this, Fasting as a religious act increases our sensitivity to that mystery always and everywhere present to us. It is an invitation to awareness, a call to compassion for the needy, a cry of distress, and a song of joy. It is a discipline of self-restraint, a ritual of purification, and a sanctuary for offerings of atonement. It is a wellspring for the spiritually dry, a compass for the spiritually lost, and inner nourishment for the spiritually hungry. So whatever stage you're at, as you've heard me sharing about this this evening, whether you've fasted many times or never, my hope is that if you choose to embrace the practice of fasting as part of your walk with Jesus, that he will meet you in that place, and that you will experience the blessing and reward that comes from your Father in heaven when you fast.